Pastor Dan. Praise God. Well, the word hope has been something that I did a word study on many years ago, probably 30 years ago, and it's been something that the Lord showed me early on, how, just how concrete this word is. Languages are continuing to change all the time, and words change meaning as time goes on, and hope is one of those words that has really, it has lost its meaning. The word hope in our English vernacular when we use that word hope, we're really using it in place of the word wish. For example, I could say, I hope when I get home today that there'll be a big plate of ch chocolate chip cookies freshly baked when I get home. I hope. But I'm really saying wish because deep down inside, I know that is not going to take place, okay? Not in my home. And so it's not going to happen. I've got to go out and get those on the side when I need those. <laughs> and so... But that's how we use the word hope. We're really saying we wish. Let's take a look at Hebrews 11.1. 1. And I want to show you something about faith. And just uh, it says that now faith, I like the word that it starts off with now. That tells us something now. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. You need to understand that, look at those two words, substance and evidence. Those are two concrete things. In fact, if you've got the right evidence and you go into a court of law, you can convict somebody with that evidence. You have something concrete, substantial. It is evidence. It is, it is a real thing. And so we see that faith, now faith, tells us that faith operates in the present. Okay? Now faith, faith is now, faith operates in the present, but it is the substance of things hoped for. So we see that the word hope there has substance connected with it. It is not something that is wishy, where we say, I'm not sure if that's gonna take place, I wish it would, I hope, that, I hope it would, that would be wonderful. No, that is the wrong usage of the word hope. And I'm talking to you today about the biblical use of the word hope. So when we read the Bible, if we bring in this aspect of wish, when we're reading through the Bible, when we run across the word hope, then we're not going to get the essence that God has set forth within his word, the real concrete essence of what God wants you to understand because you've watered it down accidentally, not on purpose, subconsciously, because of your understanding of the word hope. So we need to see that just like faith, hope is a very strong and definite word. Faith is now, and it functions in the present. Biblical hope arms, links arms with faith and looks to a future event of completion and is filled with the joy of knowing in the process. Did you get that? Faith and hope are partners, and they work together. And you establish faith in God's word, and then you begin, to, you begin to let hope come alive that knows that it's just a matter of time before what you have stood on for faith becomes a concrete manifested reality. That word hope in the Greek language is a word elpis. I didn't say Elvis. It's elpis, E-L-P-I-S. And it really means this, fervent expectation and confidence in obtaining the object of one's expectation or hope. I, I like this explanation. 
This is one after doing a word study on the word hope that I came up with years ago. Earnest expectation of something that hasn't happened yet, but is absolutely going to take place. That's right. In other words, we could say, I have, I have the hope of redemption. Well, I'm already saved and I'm redeemed, but I'm not in heaven yet. But that is our hope. Is that right? That's right. Now, is that something that we're just saying that I'm just wishing for that? No, that is our hope. It's a very concrete reality that one day we will be in heaven because we have come to know Jesus Christ as Lord. Uh, in Hebrews uh, chapter 6, there's a great scripture that really takes this home. And it's talking about Abraham when he was standing in faith, when God gave him a promise of multiplication within his family, looking forward to an heir, Isaac. Did you know it took 25 years for Isaac to show up? 25 years. But so it's talking about it, it says, and I love the scripture, it, when God made a, a promise and confirmed it with an oath, in other words, a blood covenant, and in Hebrews 6.15 it says, and so after he, Abraham, had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Now look at this next verse, verse 17 and 20. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, who are the heirs of promise? We are, we are the heirs of promise. More abundantly. He didn't just say abundantly. Did you see the language there? More abundantly. To the heirs of promise, the immutability, that word means unchangeableness. The unchanging of his counsel, that word counsel literally means his decided will. Or we could say his word and his purpose. Determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, the immutability, the unchanging of his word, his will, his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable or unchangeable things, what are these two things? The word or the promise, and then the covenant that ratified the shedding of blood, that ratified or backed up the promise. That by these two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope. Hope in what? His word, his promise. To lay hold of the word, to lay hold of the hope in his word that is set before us. What is that talking about? That's talking about a knowing we need to understand that faith, true biblical faith, moves actually past believing and comes into knowing. See, if you have belief, your belief is only as strong until some other set of evidence comes along. And then that belief can change if new evidence is presented to you. But when you have knowing, even though other evidence may come your way, you're not changing, you're knowing. You know that you know that you know, and you're not going to budge off of that place of knowing. And that's the kind of hope that God is talking about in this world, in his word. When it says to lay hold of the hope, that word lay hold of is a very strong word. It's actually where we get the word, it's based out of the word kratos, power, Greek power. It's, it's the strongest power that is demonstrative. And if we were to give you a picture of Kratos' power, we would say the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the earthquake that shook when he, rose from the, when he rose from the grave. 
So it's talking about when you are laying hold of that hope, it is talking about a dominion, it is talking about an authority in your life, it is talking about a conscious decision that sees it in the word, that lays hold of it, that takes, that takes hold of it, draws it in near to you, and refuses to let go because you know that this is true and you're going to hold on to this until what God said comes into manifestation. Now look what it says in the next verse. This hope, that hope, we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. Did you know that you're one with the Lord? That veil has been rent in two, and now you have place to be one with him and to experience his presence, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become the high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Our hope needs to be coupled with faith based upon the sure, concrete promises of the word, bathed with expectancy and joy as we come into worship into his presence and look forward to the fulfillment. Here's a little secret. It's just a matter of time. Yeah. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Amen. Thank you. Today we want to continue in our series, Keep Hope Alive. And with that understanding of hope, I'm praying that this will just explode in your mind and your heart, and especially in your soul. Notice the anchor of your soul. What hope, the focus of hope is to anchor your soul to be in agreement with your spirit having that undivided heart. Turn to John chapter 5, or get on your phone and, and click on that. We're going to talk about an encounter that always brings healing and freedom. And I'm going to take a familiar story, and I'm going to shake up your thinking about this familiar story. And in the process of this, I'm going to give you some points in how you counteract uh, falsehood, and you have truth that will take you to what hope is telling you that you have. In John chapter 5, it is talking about an encounter that a lame man had with Jesus at the pool of Bethesda. In John chapter 5, verse 1, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to, the, to Jerusalem. The feast of the Jews is a Passover. So now you know that the Passover is where the Jews would all gather together and celebrate this feast each year. They would come. They would come from long distances to be a part of that. Verse 2, now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, by the sheep gate was where the temple was, a pool which is called in Hebrew Bethesda having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel, notice angel, for an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he or she had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. 
when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time. How did Jesus know he was in that condition for a long time? Because every single year, Jesus' parents would bring him to the Passover. And he would see the man there. He said to him, do you want to be well? And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. Jesus had a bad habit, and that habit was that he healed people on the Sabbath. Verse 10, the Jews therefore said to him, who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. And he answered them, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Very important, he didn't even know Jesus. But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. Verse 14. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews then persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because they not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. So they wanted to kill Jesus all the more because he healed on the Sabbath. That just shows us how messed up religion or religious people can get. Amen? They're saying you shouldn't help people on the Sabbath. Really? Last week, we talked about going into God's presence, how we did that. We talked about how you enter his gates with thanksgiving, and you enter his courts with praise, not with griping. See, this main encounter, we're talking about encounters now. This main encounter, the lame man didn't even know Jesus. This encounter happened at Bethsaida. Now, Bethsaida, I want to just throw some things at you as we look at this, as we dive into meanings of words and different things. Bethsaida means the house of mercy. So let me say to you, this story is typifying the church. Beth in the Hebrew means house. Bethsaida means house of mercy. This has to represent the church. If there is any place on earth that gives mercy, it should be the church. We have received mercy, so it should be easy for us to extend mercy. Dr. Remy was talking about how his mom, beautiful mom, hi mom, how his mom passes out these tracts and ministers to people And hundreds of people have come to know 
Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But unfortunately, many times the church becomes the place of criticism. Now let me just throw something out to you regarding this story. There has been conversation from the time that this began to take place in the pool of Bethesda. Was this angel? Why did God use an angel? Why didn't God do this? Is this really true? Why would God do something like that when Jesus Christ is a healer? All these doctrinal conversations. So, just let me just throw something out to you that I think is gonna begin to open up your eyes. It's gonna challenge your theology. It's gonna challenge some things of things that we thought. And, but it's very simplistic, again, because I'm a simplistic guy. In this scripture, it says a certain time an angel would come and stir the water. Historians, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but historians, if you study this, tells us the stirrings of the water began in the life of Jesus or after Jesus was born. It didn't happen before, but it happened after he, that he was born. And at a certain time, again, history, is that it happened around the feast, the Passover, where all the families came, where Jesus and his parents came every single year. So the Bible doesn't give us this history, but we read the historians of the day saying that this happened after the birth of Jesus. So let's picture this encounter. We've been talking about hope entering into the presence of God and how you move into that realm as you enter with thanksgiving and, and with praise. You don't enter with griping and complaining and, and uh, all the problems of the world. You enter with thanksgiving and praise. The stirring happens in Jesus' lifetime again, and it happens around the feast. Now Jesus, again, from childhood, has attended the feast or the Passover. Each year, Jesus was there around the pool. When the pool stirred. So follow my thought. Did Jesus turn water into wine? Was there miracles that happened in Jesus' life on this earth? Okay. It says in Scripture, an angel which means, if you study the word, means a messenger. The Bible refers to Jesus as the angel of the Lord. So I just wonder, I'm throwing this out to you, I just wonder, the pool is by the sheep gate, the temple, and so you have the pool and the temple close by. I wonder if Jesus walked by the pool like a little kid, and stuck his finger in the water. Someone got healed. Oh, Pastor, you're messing with me. I'm just, I'm just wondering, okay? So I wonder if he stuck 
his finger in the water and Mary's saying, Jesus, you're always doing that. Get out of the water. And then someone yells, I'm healed, I'm healed. (laughs) And after a while, Mary kind of figured it out and said, Jesus, you healed them, didn't you? And Jesus said, well, mom, they're sick. I don't know. I'm just throwing that out to you. Because sometimes we get so religious-minded. Sometimes we get so focused on stuff and trying to prove why, how, why would God use an angel, why would God blah, 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 all right? And I'm just saying to you is that our hope is based upon Jesus Christ, our Lord. Our hope is based upon who he is. Our hope is based upon what God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit is who they are and what they have proclaimed to us. The Bible says he goes to the pool and knows this lame man has been there a long time. How? Because Jesus was there every single year. And he saw the same man. And at that time, been there for 38 years. And I want you to understand that we have to get to a place in our life that God is doing things, God is bringing things out. You can add 38 years, you can add 30 years, you can add 28 years. I'm just telling you that this is talking about the heart of God. Jesus then asks a question. To me, the question that Jesus asked him is unnecessary. Jesus would never say something unnecessary. So there's a reason for the question. He asked, do you want to be made well? And the amazing thing is this man did not say yes. Read the story. Did he go, oh, yes. He didn't, did he? So I'm going to give you a few points here this week and next week. I want to give you a few points here why I think sometimes we don't say yes to the question, do you want to be made well? Let me read Proverbs 13, 12 says, in the American Standard Version, hope deferred maketh the heart sick, but when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. Hope deferred maketh the heart sick. We've all understood the spirit cannot be sick. When the spirit's born again, brand new, perfect, cannot sin. So what part of the heart, what part of our heart, our soul can be sick? Our soul can have no hope. Our soul can have hurt. Our soul can feel pain. Our soul can be angry. Our soul uh, can do so many different things that we have learned. And so the only part of the heart that can get sick is the soul. So the first point that I want to say to you regarding this man, and I want you to hear me. I don't want you to to get all like, what? I want you to hear me. The first point of what happens when our soul loses hope, 
that power of hope that says, no matter what, no matter what's gone on, no matter what happened in my past, no matter what I said, no matter what he said, no matter what she said, no matter what, what mistakes I made, no matter what someone else did to me, no matter what I did to somebody else, what I need to understand that there is hope in everything. And this hope is not, again, wishful thinking. This hope is a power knowing the heart of God. And Jesus asked the guy the question. He said, do you want to be made well? Well, Jesus, of course he does. He's been sitting there. Thirty-eight years of age. The first point is this, is that when the soul gets sick, we have excuses. We come up with an excuse why we are different and it won't work for us. I know that marriage was healed, but it can't work for me because I know what's going on in my family. By the way, I put on the side of my notes here, all of you were past the explanation of Jesus putting his finger in the pool. Okay, we need to move on now. I wanted to shake you up a little bit. I wanted to just let you see the heart of the Lord. I want you to understand when we move into things that we, we really don't understand, we have to grab a hold of the truth of what God has said to us. We have to get to a place where we do not say things like, sir, I don't have anyone to put me in the water when the angel comes. Someone else steps in front of me. I don't know if like David, the the layman was whining. I don't know if he was whining and after the pool was stirred and he talked to everybody, oh, I just can't believe it. Listen, you, you know I'm here and I can't, I can't walk. Why didn't you grab me? Why didn't you throw me in the pool? Blaming others. And let me just suggest to you, remember in the story Jesus says, rise up? I'm just wondering because in the, the tense of that scripture, he doesn't say, like Hollywood does, rise up, come and stand with me. No, he said, get up, rise up. The reason I am describing it this way is because <laughs> I have done this, we've all done this. Do you realize the lame man was saying, it's not my fault, it's someone else's fault? This is the number one excuse in society for our problems. Someone else did something to me. The number one lie of Satan is that it's someone else's fault you are in the situation that you are in. It's someone else's fault. No one can hinder church. No one can hinder the destiny on your life but you. I want you to hear this. No one can hinder the destiny of life but you. You have to understand. I have to understand 
that what this story is about is not just some cute thing of a little boy stirring the water or, or this huge nine-foot angel coming and fluttering down and stirring the water. Whatever it may be, what we have to understand is that what Jesus is saying here is you must understand that there is an encounter. When you truly have an encounter with God, then your hope will be so secure like the hope that Pastor Dan said, and nothing will hinder it, and you will get to the place where God said you will get to. Pastor, you're a little bit emotional here today. Yeah, I am, and I told you we don't have to fix our emotions, but we have to guide it with the Word of God. And I'm feeling what I think Jesus felt when he talked to the the lame man. Again, no one can hinder the destiny on your life but you. Now, I don't understand all the details of your situation, but I know Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is no situation too difficult for the Lord. And we have to get to this place of understanding this is a real lie that's hindering, that, that your heart has been uh, deferred. It is sick. It is deferred means that it's going against the very thing that God has said. I believe God heals marriages, but let me tell you why it won't work for me, people say. Here's another one. I believe in tithing, but let me tell you why it won't work for me. Because hope is deferred. Hope is played. When when hope is deferred, let me explain to you what that does. When hope is deferred, you place the strength of the result on someone else. When hope is deferred, you remove it from God's promise into someone else or some other thing. And your dependence of it happening is on what that person will do or what that thing, how it changes. And we have to get to the place of instead of living by the soulish aspect of our life, we need to live by our spirit. Now this sounds really hard and accusatory. It's not. This stuff happens naturally. Because your eyes and your emotions, your eyes see, your emotions feel, and your ears hear more of things opposite of God than you do of God. And what you have to fight is this. You have to fight. I have to fight this reality that sometimes hope is deferred. I am, my dependence is not on God anymore. My dependence is on what I can do and what I can accomplish in my own strength. So let me make a, a statement, and, and it's in your notes, and I, I want you to carry this the rest of your life. You are not the exception to the power of God, because there are no exceptions to the power of God. Some of you have lost hope and you feel like you're the exception. 
But I want you to encounter God. I want you to encounter what Pastor Dan said. I knew I was led of the Holy Spirit. I asked him this week, I know you studied this. Would you please just take about 10 minutes and share the biblical hope? And when we grab a hold of this is something that's going to carry you through this, don't you dare give up. Don't you look at me and say, it won't work. You keep moving forward. All Hades can break loose against you. Everyone that you love can say things that are opposite. You move forward. Move to the place where God has said for you to go. You take a hold of the word of God. You do not allow anything to stop you from believing and moving forward into the aspect of God's future for you. Amen? Amen. Nothing, nothing stops you. When you go and you, you pass out that little pamphlet and you talk to someone about Jesus, I want to tell you, every, most everyone that you talk to wants to know Jesus. They know he's real. But let me tell you, their hope has been deferred. They have lost hope. They feel they're the exception. And what we have to understand when we are talking to our family and our friends, what happens is the reality is, is they have lost hope and you need to be the hope in front of them. Your words, your actions need to be consistent with them. So what am I saying? To some of you be healed. To some of you be delivered. To some of you, let hope produce God's plan for your future. Let it be a reality to you. You have lost everything. God's the one that gave you what you had. God can restore. And when the enemy comes in like a flood, God will raise up a standard. And what the enemy has stolen, he must return sevenfold. Some of you lost everything. Times what you lost by seven and then begin to rejoice because God will do it for you. God will do it for you. It is real. Until you take your last breath, hope needs to be a power in your life. Faith and hope. Until you see God face to face, hope needs to be a reality. There needs to be a daily encounter with God. There needs to be a day when all Hades breaks loose and everybody that you love is treating you like a whatever, then you need to understand hope will take you where you need to take it. Hope will do it. And this happens with those that are right next to you and this happens for some of you that have family that are thousands of miles away. There is nowhere the power can't go, and there is nothing the power cannot fix. So, what is Jesus saying in the Bible to me? Don't make up an excuse that it won't work for you. John 5, 5 said, "The the man had an infirmity for 38 years. The word infirmity means weakness. 
He had a weakness. Paul had a weakness. Let me read this to you. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What is he saying here? Hope is a power that will take you through your weakness. Yes, you have messed up at times. Yes, you have done things that you shouldn't do. Yes, you have an attitude that's not right. How many of you have ever had a not right attitude? Some of you didn't raise your hand. You're not right now. (laughs) Here he's talking about the power of Christ in him. That's true hope. So let me close today with this. Here's the question. What weakness is in your life? For the lame man, it was a physical weakness. For you, it may be emotional weakness in your life. Let me ask you a deeper question. What is the one thing that if you can get free from, from it, or you could change in your life? What weakness is there? What thing that is keeping you from having this full hope? What thing just weighs you down? What situation just constantly gets you to a place where you just feel like it'll never work? You got the Eeyore syndrome. It'll never work. And, and I know that, that I, you know, with some strong teaching here, that I wanted to make you laugh a little bit because this is life. This is where we are at. God tells us we're going to face stuff. God tells us, and when you do just totally fall flat on your face, get up. Get up. The Bible says a righteous man may fall seven times, but he gets back up. You've messed up. You, you've said things. You've done things. Get up. That's what Jesus said. Get up. Rise up. And they asked him, well, who did this? I don't know. I didn't know the guy. Because the guy was so into himself, he didn't recognize anybody. Jesus was there every single time as a kid. Wow. Do you want to be made well? The first point is when the word says things to you, say yes to it. When you have an encounter with God, say yes. But, but the last year, say yes. Say yes to God. The second point 
we'll cover next week and the others. It's called effort. Effort. Jesus said, rise and make up your bed and walk. What's that old statement? You made your bed. Yeah. Jesus says, rise up. And you know what he says? And now make your bed. How do you do that? With hope. Whew. Did you just not feel the Lord right there? That's what God's talking about. All this religious thinking, all this stuff. You know, who knows? Maybe a little boy. Look, mommy, the water. I'm healed. I don't know. They explained Jesus was an angel. Could have been another I don't know. But let me just bring this to you now. At Valley Community Church, we are a church that has a true focus. You see signs that are in front of you. We have taught this. We'll teach it again. The main focus of Valley is honoring one another. You know why we are to honor one another? It's because Valley's main focus is to equip the saints for their work of their ministry, to have people rise up and be in ministry, whether in marketplace, wherever you are at, wherever you are called. But it's that reality of accepting one another and honoring one another. And when a church loses that and becomes critical, then what happens, hope then becomes deferred and our future will never take place. I'm asking you as your pastor, will you today, Dr. Remy, that was so led of the Holy Spirit what you did, will you today make it a point in your life that every single day it's no longer about you. It's about who your God is and you are looking towards the future that he has promised because your hope is secure. But in the process of that, the people that are next to you, the people that are sitting in the office where you work, their hope is deferred. They struggle. They want to be godly. They want to do the right thing, but they just don't understand the truth. And they have excuses. How many of you have ever heard when you invite people to church? I used to go to church. And then they tell you their excuse. The Lord is calling us to jump up and to make our bed. And to live 110% for the kingdom of God. Amen? Let's all stand. Amen.